movie clubbers. Uh, welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 120. We're talking about what we did summer of 2022. As many of you may have intuited by things that were said during many of the podcasts that you heard over the summer, we recorded almost the entirety of our August and September in June, and we'll explain why in a little bit. But now it is live again. We're recording this September 27th, 2022. So all the pods that you hear from this point forward are again essentially contemporaneous who is with us hello everyone it's daniel um that is daniel that i'm going to cut in recording off campus so to speak he is uh at jury duty and uh, i'm connor lloyd cruz the people's champion and i'm goo this is a bit from the last episode you asked what you wanted to be in three months when we came back and i said i wanted to be goo and i'm goo now wow wow you look you look fabulous. <laughs> Could someone who's not goo do this? No, we're going to give that to you, Connor. You look amazing. Connor is undulating like a gooey wave. So Connor's goo. Connor became a plasm, I guess, moved from solid to some kind of amorphous life being. So congrats on that, Connor. Was it hard to do? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Edwin. Uh, hello, America. I'm still alive. Craig haven't killed me just yet. I'm still here. I'm kicking ass. He awakes from his slumber. <laughs> I'd like to, yeah, I would love to think that he went into a cryogenic sleep for two months <laughs> just to prepare for these pods. But he didn't. I mean, Edwin, I hope Edwin will tell you. I mean, Edwin is on the ascendant. Edwin is doing tons of stuff, as he should. Edwin's a star. A busy son of a bitch, Craig. Busy son of a bitch. I am Craig, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. As always, you can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Please write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Email us there. But you can also get to us via our website, via any of our social media. We're on everything. We're trying to get better at it. But, you know, we're on, we're even on TikTok. Uh, although TikTok now is becoming like sort of the mainstream thing. So we'll have to find out what the next thing is. Guess who just followed us right now? Joe Lynch, director of uh, the Tenacious D's and music videos. Oh, wow. Thank you, Joe Lynch. I wouldn't have even known that. I uh, so see Edwin is the brain of this operation, as you can see. Uh, this week... By the time you hear this, we will be two days into our October to December season. Uh, we have returned to the three-month season, which is something I love. I, it was not something I came naturally to me, but my mentor for Secret Movie Club said, you should program three-month seasons. And I was like, okay. And uh, I did, and I've actually always really liked it. It gives us a little space. You can see what we're doing. We can program our January to March with some thoughtfulness. But basically, uh, you can see all the events we're doing October through December. So just go to Secret Movie Club com or Eventbrite. But this weekend, we are kicking off, uh, we're doing a Mario Bava, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argeno sort of Friday, Friday, Friday. And uh, we're starting off with Bava, Blood and Black Lace, and Kill Baby Kill, both on 35mm at the Million Dollar Theater. Saturday, we are doing both versions of The Blob, the 1958 Steve McQueen version, which will be on 16mm. I did just learn that the first 20 minutes of that print are in Spanish. So uh, what we 
you're going to have to do is I'm going to I'm going to do a workaround where maybe we're going to DCP the first 20 minutes and then immediately switch over to the 16. If the audience wants to do it in Spanish, F it, baby. Like, we'll do it in Spanish. But we're getting the 16 millimeter print. But this is what happens when you shop 16 and 35 millimeter prints. Like our print of opera, Dario Argena's opera, has no subtitles. We're getting a soft version, soft subtitle version that we're going to laser onto the screen. So No puedo. Yeah. <laughs> good, good Italian. <laughs> On Wednesday, we are doing Lucio Fulci, I believe. Uh, and those are both confirmed 35. We're doing Zombie, so named because Dario Argeno had actually produced uh, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And so in Italy, they wanted to capitalize on that. So they called this Zombie 2. But it's really Zombie 1. It's really its own thing. And Lucio Fulci took it back to Jamaica, back to the zombie roots in the Caribbean, according to voodoo belief systems. This is the famous movie where a zombie fights a shark. We got it on 35. And then we're doing the amazing Lucio Fulci movie, The Beyond. It's interesting. I thought I was not going to like Fulci. We'll get into this because we're going to do a pod on Giallo. And I don't know. I thought it was going to be all about gore. And I think this guy is an MF and artist. I mean, he is crass. He's the best. Yeah, oh yeah, he's amazing. I saw a lizard in a woman's skin. It was amazing. I sort of have to eat crow. It's like when I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was really nervous about that movie for a long time because I thought it was just going to be gore. And it turned out to be incredible cinema. Fulci, I feel, is an amazing director. So I hope you'll do that. But again, October is all horror, like we always do every October. On Thursday, Connor, help me out here. Are we doing Raw? We're doing Julie uh, Ducourneau. You may know her better from Titan, which won the Palme d'Or a few years ago. Crazy ass movie, uh, which we've talked about a few times here. But her debut feature was a movie called Raw about a medical student who's a vegetarian who, through a hazing incident, develops a taste for meat. And uh, if you put together that we're showing this Halloween in October, you know we're talking about the sweet meat ultimately but it's not that it's not actually we can maybe get into this another time i actually still i'm not kind of i'm not really down with cannibal movies frankly they really unnerve me it's, it's a genre i don't like rush to go see but julie ducourneau's raw is not really about that that's not really setting it up right because the main character struggles with what she's going through and it's really more about trauma and about society and sexuality and it's a fascinating film so i hope you'll join us so that's the upcoming week i've already said everything uh let's get Get to it. So today we are talking about what we did over the summer. Hopefully not a dive into the deep end of narcissism. If you guys are like, yo, I listen to you for the movies. I don't care about you guys. No, I don't know why you would say it that way. And clearly I just proved I'm not a master at voices. Well, I got them covered on that. My thing is mostly just talking about movies I saw. There you go. The idea is... Essentially, we libraried and archived a whole bunch of podcasts in June for a number of reasons. One of them was that we were making some renovations to the theater, but I do want to temper people's expectations. The theater will be better. There are going to be risers. There's going to be curtains. There are going to be lights now that dim, which is really great. We, we cleaned everything up. You know, it's a very nice theater. I hope you guys are going to dig it. We made some improvements in the booth. We got our 16 mil projector ready. We got a lens cabinet. We are archived our booth so that we can get archived prints. Uh, we have counters now instead of pop-up tables. Very soon we're going to have a popcorn machine and we're going to have nice glass fridges for our drinks. Uh, we have a mural, an amazing mural that we can play movies in. But when you come in, there are going to definitely be changes, but the theater you know is the theater you're going to see. We didn't like 
raise the floor and like they're doing at the Vista. The Vista, we understand, is actually going to be pretty significant in its remodeling and renovation. We did more of, we just tried to make the improvements that everybody suggested we make, but the theater will essentially be the theater you know with those improvements. That's essentially what you're going to get into. Let's go to the team. Who wants to go first? What did you do summer of 2022? All right. I've been watching pictures, man. Watch a lot of pictures. But Name uh, one. Name one movie you've watched. The River Wild. Oh, how is it? That's great. That movie's awesome. I love Kevin Bacon. That movie's great. And that Jerry Goldsmith score. Oh, it kicks ass so bad. It's so cool. It's been rocking and rolling, man. It's been rocking and rolling, kicking ass, you know, surviving, living. I haven't been to the club in months until yesterday. And I hurt what I saw. My tapes were gone, but I put it back up yesterday. And more will be back on very, very soon. Yes. Edwin came in yesterday and is helping with the renovation. Thank you, Edwin. I got a second job. I am now an employee of the legendary Hollywood book and posters out in Burbank on Magnolia Boulevard, right attached to Blast from the Past. And funny enough, I run their social media. So if you see some cool uh, posts with like TV spots and radio spots, that's me because... No one else does it, and I think it's cool, and I think it's fun. Edwin, you do more than that. You're being uh, modest here. You have three jobs. I mean, I, I understand maybe maybe that's your paid job, but you also now are programming a night at Whammy, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I am programming a secret VHS tape night of uh, this won't come out until next week, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Just a little secret. It's a New World 80s uh, horror action movie with Joe Piscopo. Treat Williams. Dead Heat. Bingo. Yeah. Showing Dead Heat on VHS, baby. I think I saw it on VHS. My dad got it. And th- that movie terrified my sister and I. How? It's not even that scary. It's a funny <laughs> cop zombie movie. I know, but we were like seven and five. Oh. Oh, I can understand that. Yeah, there's that whole scene where, like, the meat comes out of the freezer. That's right. I forgot about that. But Edwin's a programmer. I mean, Edwin's always been a programmer, but, you know, Edwin, I, you know, we should brag about you. Everyone around town knows that you're amazing, and they want a little of the Edwin juice. Ultimately, you're the one with the talent. So just, you know, make sure people are paying you fairly and you're not being exploited. And, you know, you're, go- you're moving up onwards and upwards. I've just been everywhere, man. I've been, like, collecting, like, a lot. I'm in a documentary now being uh, filmed by Ed and Maya, who are filming my life, and and yours, too, Craig. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a hell of a ride. Making pictures, showing pictures, also on programming November because it's my birthday. You've already programmed two Godzillas. Yeah, exactly. Something you didn't finish. And I had to clean up right after you. Halo 3, finish the fight. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, Craig. Where have I been up to? As I was saying to Craig before the show, uh, nothing really interesting happened to me other than enjoying a lot of movies, games, and shows, or as Scorsese likes to call it, content. The one thing that did happen is I got called to jury duty, which is where Daniel is right now. But my experience was the whole situation made me so anxious, I ended up scratching a hole into my leg. Can you tell us what the what caused the anxiety? What, what was the worry? It's a combination of I get really anxious about situations where I don't know how long I'm going to be in the situation. There's a picture of it, by the way, if people right. want to see. Ooh. And I have a deep distrust of our judicial and police. And, and so you didn't want to be a part of that process i didn't want to be a part of it i don't want to like end up inadvertently ruining someone's life that's fair and i and i have anxiety you know like a lot of people are like oh i'm so anxious like i actually have i take like 
pills for it, you know, that kind of thing. And so, so jury duty doesn't help that situation. It does. Is not. that why you got excused? Did you, did you sort of say that? And they were like, Oh no, our whole group got excused. I did email my psychiatrist that morning. And I was like, you're getting me out of this in the future. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, doing this again. <laughs> Cause I could tell that morning I was already like, Oh yeah, this is bad. In terms of stuff I've been doing, uh, the content I've been enjoying games wise, the Card game Marvel Champions that I've talked about on this show a lot had a bunch of new releases, uh, specifically a wave dedicated to a bunch of like Spider-Man characters. So they had Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy, Spider-Ham, Penny Parker, who's the anime Spider-Girl who's in Spider-Verse. And it's super fun. It's it's maybe one of the best cycles they've done. And so if people are interested or have taken any of my advice ever about games, the Sinister Motives is the name of the ex- big expansion that has like a bunch of Spider-Man villains. As, as the audience knows, I have three children, Craigie, Carmen, and Pammy. I personally love board games and I love the experience of, and maybe it's a generational thing now that I'm comparing to the fact that most people are playing games on phones or whatever. I loved sitting around, <laughs> whatever, you bring your drink and you're playing. And it's what my family used to do with cards too. We like to play cards, but it also becomes a very social thing. And it's, it's weirdly, you don't put together that what you're doing is sitting in a circle and kind of communing over shared rules. And it's, it's really a bigger thing than you think it is. So my question to you is, you've mentioned this numerous times on the show, how you love board games and card games, not just video games. Why is that? I think it's that thing. I like, I like sitting around a table and, you know, hanging out getting snacks and drinks even if it's just one person because to be honest a lot of the marvel champion stuff has just been me and my buddy paul because champions is definitely on the upper end of like sometimes i introduce it to people and they're just like uh (laughs) (laughs) pass i love hanging out with small groups of people and small groups of people that i really like and games are a good like way to facilitate that essentially and uh you see anything interesting listen to anything interesting you have a summer album you jammed out to? And I don't have any music recommendations, unfortunately. I have one TV show and a bunch of movies. I'm going to shout out. The TV show is that Better Call Saul landed the plane very incredibly. Was this the final season? It was the final season, final episodes. And Breaking Bad, El Camino, Better Call Saul as like one thing. It's pretty monumental. And I think it's one of those things where in like 50 years when we talk about crime fiction, we're going to be talking about that stuff in the same way we talk about like the Godfather. Maybe I'm exaggerating. It's pretty great. Always interesting. And you can tell it's because it's a show. There's more than one, but there's like three guys who basically it's their thing. (laughs) And they wrote and directed a lot of it. Vince Gilligan obviously is the one everybody knows, but Peter Gould and Tom Schnoz as well they did a beautiful job spoilers light spoilers they had cameos in the last couple episodes by um brian cranston and aaron paul from breaking bad but they were like perfectly done they felt like they complimented what that show was i am curious how those last couple episodes would play for people who haven't seen breaking bad i really don't know how they would play for somebody who's never even heard of breaking bad but that seems insane to me that somebody would like be watching better call Saul and never even heard of breaking bad but i guess it's possible because the last couple episodes of better call Saul like catch up to breaking bad and move past it in a lot of ways but yeah and then movie wise at the arrow theater i saw a screening of southland tales with richard kelly in attendance which was really cool just because that's the theater that they shot that sequence in donnie darko in 
which is just kind of a cool coincidence and just reignited my love for that movie. I get it. Sometimes you love a movie and you're like, I don't understand why people don't like this. And then sometimes you have a movie you're like, and you're like, I get it. <laughs> like I get why people don't like this. I get why people don't like Southland Tales, but if you're willing to get on its very weird wavelength, I think it's very rewarding and very dense. <laughs> well, the thing I remember about Southland Tales, if I'm remembering right, and, and you know, you've been talking to me about it and, and I'm really curious to pre-screen it and, and show it because it sounds like something that w- maybe could be part of our reconsideration cinema or, but if I remember right, isn't it so dense that he released a graphic novel that had a lot of information that wasn't in the movie. And can you understand what's going on in the movie without the graphic novel? Um, I don't know if you can understand what's going on in the movie if you have read the graphic novel, because I have. (laughs) Earlier this year, I rewatched it. I reread the graphic novel. I have like one of the 10 copies of it that uh, Richard Kelly joked. I think it was always designed to be... The movie has title cards that say 4, 5, and 6, and the graphic novel is 1, 2, and 3. I will say this, most of what happens in the graphic novel is exposited in one way or another in the movie. The graphic novel is seeing that stuff happen as opposed to sort of finding out about it. And he talked about in the Q&A that he considers it like incomplete. He's not like a George Lucas where he likes people he likes people seeing the incomplete versions. Or he talked about here that he's always wanted to like go back and fill it out and finish some aspects of it. So when you talk about you get why people don't like it, is it that you think it doesn't work, but you admire its ambition? Or do you think it's done in a maximalist style that won't be for everybody? Or do you think it's legitimately good, but it's just a very specific taste? All all of those. I think okay. it's like a combination of all of those. It is a very weird thing that I can see people finding off-putting. It's like super crass. Yeah, it's like a post-apocalyptic noir with the dumbest people on the planet as the leads. Um, (laughs) But we love them at the same time. They're like, Sarah Michelle Gellar especially is this sort of like um, wise fool, I guess. She plays a porn star named Krista Now, who has like a talk show. She's just saying stuff like, Everybody here in the country is embarrassed to have sex because a bunch of nerds came over on a couple of boats and made it uncool to have sex. (laughs) And in some ways, she's kind of (laughs) right. The Puritans being those nerds. The culture of our society. Yeah, American sexuality is... We should... Well, I think... Didn't we do a pod on on erotic movies? I think so. It's really weird. It's like yesterday I was... There's this like trauma game on Steam. Steam is like a platform you can buy video games on. And there was like a preview of it that was showing like a montage of clips from trauma movies. And they were showing me some of the most disgusting violence and then it cut to like a woman, it's like naked breasts and that was censored. And it's like, okay. Yeah, that, that's America. <laughs> that's America. <laughs> New movies. I wanted to shout out two female-led uh, movies I really liked a lot. I'm just kind of grouping them like this. Emily the Criminal starring Aubrey Plaza and uh, Resurrection with... Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth, right? That one I especially liked a lot. That movie has a, uh, again, minor spoilers, has a, I think it's like seven minute long, unbroken close-up of Rebecca Hall at one point where she starts giving like a monologue, but it's done in a way where you, when I watched it, I didn't realize that it was this long take until about halfway through. And they do it in a way where it starts as like a normal scene. And by the end, not with any real effects, it almost just becomes like her head floating in black. Really good, great performances. I also saw the new uh, Fletch movie. 
oh, with yeah. uh, John Hamm. Oh, God. What, what's your problem, Edwin? John Hamm's not Fletch. Fletch will always be Chevy Chase. Exactly. For Edwin. Have you seen the new one? No, I've seen a trailer. I, from that trailer, I was like, ah, oh, no. I just want to hold up this folded piece of paper that I pulled up a second ago. Oh, man, is it a prediction? Edwin <laughs> will... Complain about new Fletch in comparison to the old one, despite having not seen the new one. I can verify that Connor clearly wrote this before the podcast. That's incredible. I knew that was coming. I loved it. To be fair, I've never seen the old ones, but I will not say whether or not it's better because I know when to hold my tongue about things I don't understand. But the new one was great. The trailer is actually a bad trailer, I would say. It plays the movie as way bigger. It's a much subtler movie. I saw somebody compare it to like Soderbergh, and that's kind of where I would put it. It's like a very kind of mellow sort of affair, but I, I loved it, and I would love to watch more of them. And it has like a bunch of other people in it too, like John Slattery and Kyle MacLachlan that are really, really good. I read a Fletch book because there were those two Fletches in the 80s, and for people who, who may or may not know, Fletch was always weird because it wasn't like a monster hit, but it was just enough of a hit. Directed by Michael Ritchie. Edwin, were both directed by Michael Ritchie? Yeah, he directed the second one as well. Fletch Lives. I really, I, We all really liked Fletch, especially the first one, because it was like a shaggy dog mystery kind of thing, and the Fletch character was endearing, but in re-watching the original Fletch, I found some of the shtick hasn't aged as well. It clearly was sort of boomer shtick from the early 80s that I think really you hear it differently now, but I mean, the Fletch movies were great, fun, shaggy dog. He was a shaggy dog investigator. He was really endearing. So I wonder if that's sort of the secret sauce of the new one reconfigured for the 21st century. I've heard people who like the books say that the old ones are more of like a Chevy Chase vehicle. And this is more of like an actual adaptation of the of the novels. And, you know, it also he sleeps with like a, a woman who's much younger than him, which you normally would complain about. But it's John Hamm. So you're like, OK, Fair. I get it. <laughs> Aubrey Plaza, you know, I don't know that I've seen a lot of stuff with Aubrey Plaza. I need to, but I'm fascinated by her because I hear she's a very singular sort of persona. Did she come out of Community? Was that her show? or Parks and Rec. Emily the Criminal would be a really good choice to go to, as would um, Ingrid Goes West would be another good one in terms of her like lead performances. That one's probably her best like lead performance. She's pretty pretty unhinged in that one, but in a funny way. And what is the deal that she's just she's just willing to to be very idiosyncratic? Or I think that's it. You know, her energy on Parks and Rec, you can tell, is like her personal energy, kind of <laughs> to a certain degree. Obviously, played up for camera. She's just an interesting performer. And Emily, Emily the Criminal is really good. I had two more movies I wanted to shout out. These were the two big headlines actually for me. The two that I loved that I saw, uh, which is uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh yeah, the Pete Davidson thing. Yeah. Well, Pete Davidson. He's not in it a whole lot. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> he's one of the bodies. He's one of the bodies. It's really good. It's really a comedy more than anything. It's essentially just a comedy about this horrible group of friends and why they're all terrible. It uses a sort of whodunit game slash slashery sort of thing. It's not that much of a horror movie, to be honest, even by like stretch standard. It's more of like a whodunit thriller. It's really good. It's really funny. Especially uh, Rachel Sinat, who plays Alice, is hilarious in the movie. She was in Shiva Baby, 
which I know me and Daniel both really liked a lot from a year or so ago. And then the other movie that I really loved was Barbarian. Scary? It's like a horror comedy, I would say. It was marketed more as a straight horror, which is interesting. It's very tense at times. There is a sequence towards the middle involving Justin Long in a tape measure that's maybe the funniest thing I've seen in a couple of years. It's a little late now, but if you can see that with people, it is so fun and so just like a movie that like knows where its audience is at every point. <laughs> Almost in the way that like in The Return, there's like things like the shot of the guy sweeping that feels a little bit like David Lynch just kind of messing with the audience a little. <laughs> there's like stuff in Barbarian that you can tell they're messing with with us and with our like expectations of what it is. It's not quite as meta, but it reminds me of like Scream or Cabin in the Woods in that way. It has a very deep understanding of all the stuff it's doing really really fun man nice so so it's the kind of movie where the audience jumps or it's like oh no way or that kind of thing the audience jumps or there's like a good example from early in the movie is there's this basement this creepy basement in the house that's set up earlier in the movie a character got like the basement closed and it like automatically locked uh while they were in the basement and then they had to wait for another character to get them out and then later on they're like looking in the basement while like the door is open and they're playing it in a way where like the audience, you can feel the audience like, come on, are you serious? You're going to get locked <laughs> near again. And at like the last second, she grabs it. Things like that, where you can tell that they know what the audience is thinking at that moment and they're toying with them. It's an art and a skill that comes, I feel naturally to some filmmakers and to other filmmakers, not at all. What's interesting is this guy, um, Zach Kreger, I think, is one of the members of The Whitest Kids You Know, the comedy troupe. And Daniel, what do you do this summer? I have been up to many things the last few months. I did some traveling to see family. I did some traveling to work on a project that I'm excited about and can't speak to, which makes it sound really cool. And maybe it is, but also just those are the rules. I saw a bunch of movies with a bunch of friends. The notable ones that if we were recording during this time, I would gush over our Jordan Peele's latest Nope, which I've been a little bit obsessed with. I think it's uh, incredible on a lot of levels, but I also think in the realm of genre filmmaking, he is really doing some unbelievable things and it's phenomenal. I'm excited to have it in a presentation I can watch at home to keep looking at conspiracy theories and all the things that sort of make it tick. I also watched the new Prey from Dan Trachtenberg, which I think is a is a very good action kind of horror thriller if he decides to sort of make prey sequels that just jump around time periods and have the predators fighting different groups of people throughout history i think that is a good call another one i watched uh with my wife rachel that we were both pretty taken with is the outfit which kind of came out earlier this year and i feel like didn't get a lot of press i don't think i even saw a trailer but it stars uh, mark rylance and zoe deutsch uh, it is the directorial debut of Graham Moore, who I believe has a, a backing in, in theater or television. But it's the single location, slow burn, whodunit, crime, mystery thriller thing. And I think it rules and I hope it gets um, some love as end of the year lists start to come out. I saw Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which was lovely. I saw 3,000 Years of Longing, which I really liked. The group I saw it with was super mixed from like very bad to very good. I always think that's really interesting in films. I think coming off of Mad Max Fury Road, it's such a cool thing that this was the next project from George Miller. I'll be really curious to see sort of how this is taken as the years go on, because I think it's a pretty special thing. 
I assume there will be some really cool writing about it. In Speed Round, I saw Vengeance, which I dug. I saw Bodies, 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 which I dug. I saw On the Count of Three, which I dug. I saw Petite Maman, which I loved. I saw Emily the Criminal. I saw Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I saw Dragon Ball Super, Superhero. I watched Mad God, which is so dope. I watched The Lost City, which was awesome. Barbarian? Rules. Everyone should see Barbarian. The less you know, the better. Don't watch a thing about it if you can avoid it. I watched We're All Going to the World's Fair, which was great. I saw Moon Age Daydream, and I like Bowie. I wouldn't call myself a Bowie aficionado. Moon Age Daydream was really magical. If it's still playing in theaters, run out to see it. If not, still worth a watch. It's such a cool... The entire build of it as a documentary is fascinating. Finally, I, I went to go see Avatar again in theaters, which I had not watched since I saw it in theaters all those years ago, and was surprised because I think there was the sort of a trajectory of given Avatar the poke and fun in it. I think it holds up surprisingly well. Its special effects exist in this weird pantheon of, I don't know if they still look great, but they're so cohesive to the world that you don't think about it. And even if the script is maybe not great, the world building and wonder that Cameron pulls off, I think is great. I'm super stoked for the sequel. And the last two things that I've been uh, obsessed with as we kind of hit the end of the year, into the award season rush, the Banshees of Inishirin is phenomenal. And Park Chen-wook's newest decision to leave is phenomenal. And I will probably just keep going to see them over and over and bugging people until they watch them with me. Have I done anything else this year and this summer? I've just worked a lot of work, which is a good thing. But I'm also, I'm sleepy. Whoa. What do wow. you think about what Daniel did, Edwin? Pretty f***ing lame, man. Just you think? Lay back and did nothing. <laughs> the the cinematographer director, man, he just lay back, watch TV. That's not good, man. That's not, that's not hot. Thing. I don't think that's what Daniel said. You sure about that? One of the reasons that we also shut down the club was that I wrote and directed uh, my first feature film called The Afterworld Game. We shot it on 35 millimeter. <laughs> Hello? Uh, Edward's going to hey. take a call. <laughs> can, I, can I call you back, please? I'm going to podcast right now. Just don't take the call. <laughs> it's good. It's actually good for me to consistently be humbled. Probably one of the main reasons that we shut down, along with, with trying to get some things done in the club and some renovations. I've, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I, I love movies. I love movies more now than I ever have. That love is never abated in any way, and I love making them. I've always wanted to make a feature film in the hopes that if it showed any kind of competency that I could continue. And it was interesting. The movie's called The Afterworld Game. It actually uh, has Udo Kier. We got an actor. I'm really excited. If you know Udo, he's in most of Lars von Trier's movies. He was in a number of Fassbender movies. He was in Gus Van Sant's My Own Private Idaho. He was in two of Andy Warhol's key movies. Bakurau a couple years ago. Udo was also the head vampire in Blade. Like he was in Armageddon. It, you, you know Udo if you look up Udo Kier and we were very lucky to get him as well as an incredible cast uh, that you're going to meet Alexander Almendarez played uh, Maria Anthony Riggins Jr. played Marcy Jonathan Tananaki uh, played uh, Koichi and Sarah Demestere played Julie and, and we have Winston Francis played Little Problems and Justin Rodriguez played Rando and that's the whole cast and then I play a guy who gets shot on the first page so I even make a little appearance in the movie and I got into special effects makeup and have a deep respect for people who had to do that. Yeah, thanks for the mess on the floor, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Edwin had to clean up. The, the bloody mess. Actually, no, from... it, it, it wasn't me. 
it was Josh who had to clean it up. So. Thanks to Josh Salisbury. I will say, for whatever it's worth, I always was going to make a feature film no matter what. And that never ended, that one and desire. The thing that I say to everybody is that it's a marathon. This is just mile nine. <laughs> mile nine of a marathon. We have to edit it, do special effects, music. Then, what all my friends told me, that part of it I just described to you, they said, is just 49%. 51% of the movie then is getting a sales agent, going to festivals, getting it sold, getting everybody like taken care of. So I think it's probably accurate to say that I'm just on mile nine of 26.2 miles or whatever a marathon is. It was intense. We had a horrible incident the first night. I'll talk about it another day. Not it had nothing to do with us. It happened down the street. A poor gentleman got shot. And, and then when talking about it, the two are not comparable and they're not connected. That would be shameful of me to then say this guy got shot and here's what I think about our movie. So the security guard got shot in some kind of break-in. His name was Jairo Ortiz. There's actually a monument to him about a block away from us. And I'm in contact with his sister. And if she'll let me, we want to maybe put him in the credits and, and God bless Jairo and his family. And it was a tragedy, period. Uh, and that's that. But that was the first night. And so we actually lost two days of shooting because I told the cast and crew, you know, let's stop today. Don't come back tomorrow. I had to adapt, get a security guard, make sure everyone felt safe. But, you know, I will that cast and crew, everybody came back. Everybody came back. I can't tell you how grateful I am to my cast and crew. You know, they obviously were like, could you do this, this and this? And then we, we, we essentially after that, you know, it was a tough shooting a, a feature film in 19 days, which is what we ended up doing. But the movie was, I storyboarded the movie. We shot my boards. We shot 12 hour days. I shot every single storyboard I had. I think I had to condense and lose about, I'm kind of pulling this number out of my, if I had boarded, let's say 300 shots or 400 shots, I think I dropped 20 shots or condensed 20 shots. So 380 of the shots that I storyboarded got shot. We shot the whole movie on schedule. In our final weeks, Connor came in to help out. I cannot thank Connor enough. Connor did the very same thing when COVID hit for a secret movie club. So as long as the movie is not a turkey, Connor's going to get to pre-screen it when it's done. And if he wants, he's going to get a co-producer credit on it. So I want to thank Connor for, you know, coming in. There he is. He's doing his goo octopus thing. But, you know, when Connor says, well, I did jury duty and watch movies, he did more than that. He ensured that the Afterworld game got finished. And I want to thank you, Connor. It was, you know, a critical moment. So you did a huge thing. So thank you. And I just hope that we do write by you that it's actually when you see it, you're like, oh, <laughs> it's a movie. And, uh, and I want that co-producer credit. But if you don't, you can be like. F this movie. <laughs> I don't want my name anywhere near it. I want an associate producer credit. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the hard work is ahead of us. But the funny thing for anybody who is a filmmaker or is curious, it was very intense. And I produced the movie, too, with my producing partner, Amy Taylor. So I wrote, directed it. And that's a different kind of thing when you're also a producer. I had a big epiphany. And I, and I knew it. It's not like it was unknown to me. But when you produce a movie, you definitely have more control. But you definitely also are the responsible party on the movie. A director who doesn't produce can be like, oh, I don't know about that. Ask the producer. <laughs> and I have a feeling that a lot of directors do that. When you are the producer, you're like, no, you're right to ask me. And I'm the one who has to problem solve this problem. There were days that I got three hours of sleep. 
I work seven days a week for about 35 days. I barely saw my family and my wife. They were very, very understanding. I'd take my son to school. I'd hug my daughters. I'd kiss my wife. And we had talked that this is what it was going to be like. And now I got to figure if I ever am lucky enough to make a second movie, you know, what that looks like with the family. Because my family has to come first. I can't be a good director if I'm not a good family, not a good husband, not a good father. And, and there's still things outstanding. I mean, I'd still producing still. And I need to do right by this cast and crew. And I got to start editing and we got to get special effect shots. There's stunts. People fly in the air. I don't want to ruin it too much for everybody. We exploded ahead. I realized when we were doing the shoot, I was like, I wrote this to be low budget. This is like Peter Jackson low budget. We had to figure a lot of stuff out. I hope it works, but ultimately it was a joyous experience. And you know, let me knock wood because like I said, I'm just on mile nine. The biggest surprise to me was it, it's been 20 years, 20 years since I directed a long form narrative. I've, and that's not true. I did an eight episode webisode thing that was kind of a narrative and I've done a lot of documentaries and I've always been in the pond. I've always been working. But from when I wanted to make a feature to when I shot a feature, was 20 years. Now I got to make it a story and I'm, we're going to start telling you about it and releasing it. We want the Secret Movie Club community to be part of the journey and the process. But the funny thing was I stepped on the set and I love doing it. I love the job. Um, it was intense. If anyone ever wants to talk about it, it's the real deal. <laughs> You're in it. You're in the barrel. But when it works, it's joyous. And when the actors are good or the stunt comes off or the shot feels good or you think, I think the audience is going to like that, it's a joyous feeling. And I really enjoyed it. And I actually want to keep making features. Now, that's up to God and the universe and the audience. Um, so we'll see. And like I said, it's it's also been really rough, but I'll keep you posted. I guess across these podcasts, I'll, I'll, I'll you know sort of keep you posted on the progress. So that's what I did this summer. Let's do kind of a lightning round pop culture final thoughts. We kind of did it. Yeah. Does uh, anybody want to pop anything into their pop culture final thoughts real quick? I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. Lightning. I do real like real lightning. Uh, hold on. Lightning. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Let's go. Oh, I saw. Boom. I saw we can't see motherfuckers. God. Keanu Reeves, Constantine. It's great. I loved it. Can't wait for part two. I was going to use harsher curse words, but Edwin has cursed a lot this episode. So I'll just say Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott can eat my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are literal scumbags and should be deeply ashamed of yourselves. Are you talking about just all the grandstanding and the sending of migrants to Martha's Vineyard and yeah. limiting women's rights? It's like one of the, that whole stunt specifically is like one of the most disgusting things. Do you think it's biting him? back or no i don't know it's hard to tell yeah. we'll see i agree i don't know either obviously the people who already have their opinions about those people it's just reinforcing them i think but i am curious about that independent who's apolitical and just so you i mean do you want to set up what you're referring to connor because it's important in the pods if people listen to the pods years from now to know what you're referring to this is the martha's vineyard incident where ron DeSantis, governor of florida uh with the assistance of Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, essentially shipped a bunch of migrants who were seeking asylum in Texas to Martha's Vineyard up in uh, New England. As a way of kind of owning the libs. Yeah, essentially as like, well, here's where all the, you know, sanctuary cities are. We're going to send it to the like most coastal elite thing. But when you hear the details about it, it's done in the most like scummiest way possible where you know, specifically, these people have to have court dates to show up in order to confirm the asylum. I'm not the most well versed on this. And they're like giving them 
courts that are across the country in places they've never even been as just a way to screw these migrants over. And they're really just playing with these people's lives in a way that it should be illegal. I think they should both be in jail, (laughs) in prison right now for what they've done. It is, I think, morally and ethically, obviously, a horrible thing to do, deeply shameful. They, and in my opinion, anybody who supports them in this have no moral high ground and have completely abandoned anything I recognize as like human empathy. I agree with what you said. I think people who have made up their minds or are sort of team red, team blue, I don't think it moves the needle at all. I think Team Red probably loves it. Team Blue probably hates it. But I am curious about that. And I know it's a narrower and narrower swath of America, but the sort of apolitical independence, I do wonder if maybe uh, DeSantis overplayed his hand. And I just wonder if it doesn't pass the smell test in the sense that some people are like, well, uh, yeah, immigration is an issue or, you know, we got to deal with that. But this is not the way to do it. I hope so. I would hope so. Because it was so clearly a political stunt. To me, the the thing is like, if I was just an apolitical person, I'm like, wait, was money used for this? We're like, ta- like, did this solve the issue? Did this move? This seems just like a campaign strategy for DeSantis 2024 as president, essentially. So we'll no, see. Definitely. And also you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz <laughs> and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings, twitch.tv slash Nerdhala. And I will also go on the record that I find that grandstanding abhorrent as well. There is a place for differences of opinion on immigration, and I, I understand that. But I don't, as Connor said, I don't understand really how it moved the needle forward or solved anything. And when you're a politician, you're supposed to be a leader. It seems almost unreasonably bad. You know what I mean? It's hard to comprehend. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. My pop culture wrap up, if the myriad of things I just threw at you wasn't enough, I got to go to the Beyond Fest screening of RRR at the Chinese theater. It was sold out and genuinely one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had. It's so interesting to see Western reception to things. And when something starts to sort of bring together people to experience new worldviews and, and new uh, cultures, art form, new to us uh, in our in our ignorance, to be fair. Uh, it's very cool. And the response to RRR is nuts. And I believe I saw today, actually, that there is now an Oscar campaign forming. And I think that rules because I think it's a special thing that's just movie magic in all of its aspects. And I know there's specific types of movies that typically are favored in the Oscar conversations, but I would really love it if RRR is uh, considered for that path. Beyond that, there's so much stuff I have to catch up on and a lot of great things to watch this year. I hope everyone had a lovely summer. Thanks for coming back to listen. Hope there's many things you saw and loved. I am in the middle of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas, a book I have wanted to read since I was 12. And I think I picked it up at 12 and saw that it was 1,200 pages. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't think I'm ready for this. Uh, and I put it back down. And uh, now I'm reading it. And although it definitely reads like a 1,200-page 19th century novel, there are chapters where it's a story within a story within a story within a story. By and large... It is dope. I love it. And I am on the edge of my seat for how Edmond Dantes is or is not going to get his revenge and what Dumas is saying about vengeance and redemption and the universe and God. And it is, in my opinion, one of the great novels. One of the things the book deals with constantly is something I'm obsessed with, uh, which is providence um, and grace. And I can get into it another time, however you want to define that. But I'm obsessed with this thing and I'm loving it, although it is slow occasionally. (laughs) I will say there are 
are chapters where I was like, really? Did I need 50 pages on this Italian bandit who's only marginally attached to this story? And like his story within a story and the shepherdess girl and the hill and the goat and the cave. And the there's some of that if you've ever read 18th and 19th century novels, but not a lot. By and large, it is edgier seat. Count of Monte Cristo. Every screenwriter should read it, but I'm only halfway through. Maybe I'll tell you in two months, like I was wrong. He didn't land the plane. But like Connor said about Better Call Saul, I think Dumas lands the plane because why else would this be considered one of the greatest novels of all time? But we will see. All I got to tell you, Count of Monte Cristo, dope. And in wrapping up, please join us tonight for our Mario Bava 35 millimeter night, Blood and Black Lace, which I love. Uh, we'll get into it on another podcast. We are going to do a Giallo podcast this this month, but I was not originally a huge Bava fan, but I am. I think I'm team Bava now and Blood and Black Lace is one of the reasons I'm team Bava. So we'll talk about that. So Blood and Black Lace and Kill Baby Kill. And then Saturday, both versions of the blob, the 1958 Steve McQueen starring blob. And then many people consider the superior 1988 Chuck Russell directed Frank Darabont scripted the blob. That's the team that did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Wires and Frank Darabont, you know, from Shawshank Redemption, The Mist, Walking Dead, The Majestic, uh, a whole bunch of movies. Uh, Frank Darabont went on Green Mile to have a fairly lengthy writing and directing career that everybody knows about. And so that's our Saturday. Our Wednesday is going to be Lucio Fulci night, both on 35 Again, Zombie 2 and uh, The Beyond. And then Thursday will be Julie Ducourneau's Raw. So we hope, and we've got a lot of, I hope, a lot of great stuff in October. I'm really looking to The House That Jack Built, a movie that we all talked about and we are showing it. The question is, am I showing the unrated version or the rated version? I need to check with IFC because I want to show it on 35. So my only answer to you will be the 35 millimeter print version. And if we have to show it DCP, then I'm going to ask for the unrated version because if we're going to go DCP, might as well show unrated. But I do know that's going to mean double the discomfort for everybody. So, you know, buckle up for that. And uh, there you go. Uh, as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We want to thank our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who edited this as he edits everything, including our trailers. Uh, next week, we are doing Secret Movie Club Podcast 121, where we talk about David Lynch's Lost Highway and transitional movies, by which we mean movies that were made at the cusp of one period of a director's work and another period of a director's work. Lost Highway is very much a transitional film. You can see him coming out of his wild at heart phase, but uh, Lost Highway transitions us to his Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire phase, which, which is a totally a different phase in his late period. And we'll talk about other directors and transitional works. And we had uh, Mary Sweeney come and talk, the editor and producer of Lost Highway, just a few days ago. So when we do that podcast, we'll also be able to share uh, some of the insights Mary Sweeney had. And you're actually going to get to hear Mary Sweeney tell it her own story, because uh, we recorded that interview with good sound. So uh, you're going to hear that we're going to release that interview in a month or so. So that's it. Thank you, guys. I'll see you in a week. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Nice talking to you. I love you, family. <laughs>